0: It's a real privilege for me to be here. Uh, I bring greetings from my own church. It's called Hastings Church. It's a really significant name. And if you go and look on Google Maps, uh, the reason it's called Hastings Church is because it's a church and it's in Hastings. <laughs> <clears throat> really significant. Um, my name's Warren Hickey, And, uh, you know, I... Um, Names are interesting things. Uh, my name, uh, my lineage, uh, one of my ancestors was instrumental in the creation of the Treaty of Waitangi in New Zealand. And uh, Hone Heke was his name, or John Heke. Uh, he was very disillusioned with the injustice that occurred after the treaty was signed. And he was disillusioned because he had believed that this treaty would create this environment that was going to be beneficial for his people. And he found that that a lot of it wasn't happening and that the crown was not doing what they were going, they said they would do. And so him and some followers went to uh, the government house and they cut the flagpole down. (laughs) And then when they put another one up, they went back and cut it down again. And so he did that multiple times until they raised an army to go and fight him. And so him and his warriors went, ran away and then uh, used some pretty unique strategies to hand over quite a few defeats. But the motivation for him to do that was a real passion and conviction about the welfare of his people. That's what that was. And in our culture... When we talk about our lineage, when we talk about the people who make up our heritage and who have come before us, we don't see them as individual elements in a long chain. We see them as pieces of ourselves. So we see that our character and our makeup and our our behavior is so entwined with the people that have gone before us that we tell people who they were so that they can then understand who we are. Now, uh, my uh, we have a, a person in our church, who, her name is Dr. Kay Fountain, and, and she was the um, uh, academic dean at the Asia-Pacific Theological Seminary in the Philippines, and so she worked in a multinational capacity dealing with um, ministers and, and, and academics from all over the world, uh, particularly in, in, in Asia, and uh, she's an Old Testament uh, theologian, so... She reads her Bible every morning in both the Hebrew and the Greek, because it's a bit clearer for her to understand what's being said. But we—she's been on a journey of learning about being a Māori in New Zealand and what the culture's like and some of the history. And she sat with me and she said to me, "I am so amazed at how like Hebrew culture Māori are." She said, even in the language, the way that words are used, like even the idea of what is sacred and what is not, uses the same uh, form of meaning that it does in the Hebrew. And she said, so there there are cultural elements of Maori culture which are almost exactly the same as Hebrew culture. And so for Maori, they would just get it like that. I was like, wow, what a treasure we have. So, uh, thank you for having me this morning. My name's Warren Hickey. I have five children. Uh, They're amazing children. They're neurodiverse. The oldest is 29, the youngest is 15. And those neurodiverse children all have a unique way of looking at the world and have given my wife and I all of the tools we need to deal with the people in a church. (laughs) Right? Right? Amen, brother. Yeah, amen. So we love those kids, and um, we're grateful they're not here with us today. Um, My wife, Sarah, uh, is a a practice nurse. She's a registered nurse. She's also mental health credentialed. Um, She's working in general practice at the moment, but uh, is about to embark on some new um, activities, working for the mental health directorate of our regional health um, authority. And uh, she also runs a, a clinic providing free health care uh, to the vulnerable community that we deal with. Um, so that's open five days a week, um, 8 till 12, and uh, she usually works through till 6, but <laughs> 8 till 12. And, uh, and we are providing free health care, including dental Um, Everything from um, fixing, uh, sorry, um, plaster casts to wound care to uh, managing chronic um, illnesses. And so she's been, she built that up. She was doing all of that voluntarily for about five years on her own. Um, So that's my wife. She's wonderful. She's sitting back there. Um, I need to keep her in my line of sight because she has several signals that tell me to stop talking. Or change the subject. And they work. All right? So if you, you notice me kind of with a confused look on my face, it's a new signal. <laughs> I'm thankful that we, you have, you're have a church that's, uh, you know, your pastor jokes a little bit. In my church, I, I can have quite a dry sense of humor. So I had a person who sat in the congregation would laugh extra loud just to let everyone know I was joking. <laughs> Yeah, and every now and then, every now and then, he would say, that's a joke, right? Just to like, yeah. So now I've learned to say less horrible things in church. (laughs) Praise God. Listen, bear with me. I'm just going to pray for a moment. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to share what you've laid upon my heart for this people. Lord, you brought me here, and you gave me this opportunity. But Lord, I pray that for every person in this room, there would be a deep and abiding sense of your presence, of your word, of your love. I ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Uh, Today, uh, you know, uh, I'll start by just telling a bit bit about what we currently do as a church. And uh, hopefully I can kind of shape the unusual, I guess, structure of what we're doing um, to give you an idea about us and perhaps uh, give you some food for thought. And then I want to address a couple of things. And uh, firstly, I will state that the the title of my message is Side Effects. Um, You know what side effects are, right? Like, So if you aim for or you're doing something and then something else happens, that's a side effect. Okay, so you know, you you take a medication and and something else happens, it's a side effect. All right. So that's the that's the title of my message. But we have a church, our church is a little bit smaller than this in terms of its membership. Uh, and we have but our attendance, we have probably about 70% of our 60 or 70% of our congregation are people that we would call chronically homeless or um, particularly vulnerable. Uh, It's difficult to actually say we deal with homeless people because homelessness is often just a symptom of a really complex mix of issues that people are dealing with. So we have uh, a mix of people who have spent time in intensive care mental health and and secure units. We have people who have spent time in prison uh, and who often are going back or, or frequenting prison Um, we have a number who have really uh, significant addiction problems Uh, others who have experienced uh, severe trauma through abuse um, uh, um, domestic violence and abuse so we have this broad spectrum of people in need in our church and I think what you could say is we have a church that's kind of made up of just as many broken people as you can find that's pretty much the the state of our church Um, quite a number of our church are illiterate, quite a number of them have health issues, like they can't hear or they can't see properly. Um, uh, I'm thinking of of one member of our congregation, he can't hear in one ear and he can't see very well, his vision is blurry because when he was a child, his father kicked him in the head. And his mother, to protect him, would often lock him in a cupboard and in that cupboard he would stay sometimes two or three days. And his mother was killed when his father threw her through a plate glass window and she died. So he's homeless and he's on the street. Now most people would say, oh, but he just likes being on the street. No, he doesn't like being in an enclosed space. His mental health nurse, his mental health care worker who looks after him from the hospital, didn't know that he was deaf or that he couldn't see properly. And my wife found out because she would speak with him frequently and show him love. Until one day, a few years into us working with him, he told her that story about what happened to him. And no one else knew it. So our church, we, uh, it's kind of a small church. We have a a lot of people who are, you know, my servers are full of people who are sleeping and snoring on the side. Some people are fidgeting and jittering around because they're high. Um, Yeah, yeah. And then then when I sit down and calm myself, no. Um, And then we also have, um, so it can be quite an uncomfortable place if you're not used to it. Yeah? Okay. So I grew up in a large church on the North Shore in Auckland. Uh, We had about 1,500, well, large for New Zealand, 1,500 people in that congregation. I grew up when I was three years old when I started. Uh, I thought all churches were exactly the same as that. All the functions we did were exactly the same. Every church everywhere did, if they were saved and if they were Christians, they did it exactly like we did. (laughs) And uh, it was a very affluent uh, world that we lived in at the time. uh, I was the only brown-skinned person in the church, apart from my mother. Uh, And everybody was wealthy. And the worship was amazing, skilled musicians, everybody went to university, it was just fantastic. So when I started pastoring this particular church eight years ago, I was probably the least comfortable with anybody in the church who smelled funny or who did things outside the norm. I had a very long history in churches, exactly how churches should function, how they should be, what they should look like, how it should feel for me. I am really dressed up today according to our church. I mean, I'm super dressed up. But when I started in this church, and I had a few things happening, uh, I remember one day I wore a baseball cap, and I preached. And uh, I asked if anybody had a problem with that. Joking, as I do. And this woman stood up, yes, I do. I was like, oh, you shouldn't do that in, in church. I was like, oh, okay. Sorry. And I carried on anyway. Um, but suffice to say, what that what that does is I began to question what What's the point of what we're doing as a church? What are we doing? Why am I doing it? And uh, 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 Andrew here said a really cool thing to me. He said, "Oh, you seem very reflective." I was like, "Cool, I'll use that word." <laughs> so I reflected on my faith. It sounds better than deconstructed or, or crushed it, right? I reflected on my faith, and uh, I realized I was doing a whole bunch of things that really didn't matter. And the difficulty for me was, how do we see some clarity in the midst of all the things we do in church? We get so busy, we've got so many st- things going on, so much stuff. So I went, all righty, <clears throat> here's a really easy way to do that. We're going to stop doing everything. So we went to having one service on a Sunday. And that was it. We didn't do a men's group or a women's group. We kind of did a Sunday school thing just because we had a few kids, but we just stopped doing everything. And it wasn't because those things aren't necessary or they're not helpful, but just for us, we needed to go, God, we're just doing all this stuff to just keep keep going, keep doing the things that churches do. Uh, we're supposed to do that. You know, let's just, I mean, it's like you've got a you've got a worship team. This is fantastic, you know, like you've got, Real instruments, real drums. Oh, that's awesome. But, you know, you can have church with none of that stuff. You can have it without the overheads. You can have it without... And when you have no resource, you you know, it can be very difficult to keep up with. So we just went back to, like, the basic things and get the Bible out and, and make a noise, make a joyful noise. One of the things that... Uh, I think every church wants and every pastor wants and I wanted this was I wanted to be fruitful as a pastor actually I wanted to be successful first and that's a dumb idea (laughs) but I realised being successful wasn't going to work Lord help me be fruitful and Matthew chapter 7 and verse 16 says by their fruit you will recognise them Do people pick grapes from the bushes or figs from thistles? By their fruit, you will recognize them. And one of the challenges I got from by by their fruit, you will recognize them, is that I went chasing after fruit, right? Oh, yeah, fruitful. Okay, so I'm going to just go chasing after good fruit everywhere. And I'm going to go and find a tree that's got good fruit growing on it. And I'm going to grab that tree, and then I'm going to cut it down and take it back to my place. Oh, what? It's died. It's died. I go looking for the fruit. I'm gonna be fruitful, I'm gonna go chasing fruit. I'm gonna find the target demographic, I'm gonna aim for them and I'm gonna get them into my church because then that'll be fruitful. <laughs> but you know the thing about fruit is it grows out of something. It grows from something. It doesn't yes, you can pick it, but when you pick it, it loses its life. It loses the sustenance that it's it eventually withers and dies. And so what does Christ ask us to do but be grafted into the vine for this fruitfulness? So there is only fruitfulness, the real fruitfulness that we're looking for by being grafted in Christ. Yeah? So if we're grafted into Christ, then naturally what is going to happen is fruitfulness. That's what's got to happen. It's really the question that I had to ask myself, are we as a church grafted into Christ? Are we grafted in and secured in such a way that we are bound to be fruitful? It doesn't matter what fruit you are targeting because you will produce the fruit out of what you're grafted into. You don't need to target the poor. You don't need to target a specific demographic of we're reaching this particular race of this particular gender of this particular area. You don't need to do that because what will happen is you will bear fruit where you're grafted in. This is your home. This is your place. This is where you have found and put down roots into this church. So this church will be bearing fruit out of what you are grafted into. Not just what your pastor is grafted into, not just what the elders are grafted into, but what you are grafted into. Are you grafted in Christ? So there I was, I had this church, I had this kind of, I don't know, what was I going to do with it? We started out very traditionally, doing so we cut everything out. And when I took over the church, the church was in crisis, it was hemorrhaging money, it was hemorrhaging people, I think we had one person who was tithing enough to cover all of our expenses and everybody else was leaving. Uh, We had an enormous debt and we were coming in in the middle of uh, the leadership that I took over from, there was some issues in relationship between myself and the previous ministry and the leadership of our church. So It was pretty ugly. But in that ugliness, I said God what do you want me to do like what what are you calling me to do and I thought one of the cool things about being a new leader is you can pick stuff so I thought I'm going to pick a really cool name so I was like yes let's call it um, I think actually one of the names I landed on was Nexus now some of you may know that that (laughs) church here but um, I I came up with this cool name and I remember lying in bed with my wife and I was lying there and I was dreaming because we'd It's been a while coming up with a name. I'm looking at the ceiling, and I'm like, oh, yeah, that's such a cool name. And I could see the map of New Zealand, and I was imagining this name attached to the different city names all across the country. And I was lying there like, yeah, wow, that's so cool. And then the Holy Spirit spoke to me, and he says, "Uh, did I ask you to start a franchise? (laughs) I went, oh, no. No. He said, what did I ask you to do? And when I was inducted as the pastor of the church, I really felt, and this was actually the thing I think that for the people there that, that selected me as the pastor. I felt that God said to me, I want you to love these people. That was his call to me. I want you to love, and it wasn't, I mean, I knew exactly who he meant when he said these people because I said these people all the time. These people, I don't want to hang out with these people, these people, this Christian in the church. I didn't particularly like this church that God was asking me to pastor. And then he said, I am asking you to love these people. I want you to love them. And so he reminded me of that when I'm imagining this big franchise. He said, love these people. And these people are in a specific place at a specific time. And so we called our church Hastings Church. It's very hard to franchise a city name across the world, right? (laughs) There's only like a couple of other places around the world that I could really plant a church now. So we're Hastings Church. We're in Hastings. That's us. The cool thing is if you look up Hastings Church on Google, we come up at the top. (laughs) Google Analytics, like, well, we're a church in Hastings. We're going to pop up. <clears throat> um, I mean, that's been helpful, actually, I will say, but, so what do we do now? Uh, fast forward, a snapshot of what we're doing now, we have a, a reasonable size congregation, a little bit smaller than this, um, we have a trust that was set up as a service arm for our congregation, for our church, because our church is very uh, financially poor, it doesn't most of our tithers, um, are, you know, they're working their first full-time job. <laughs> um, we have a few that that have come since then. We have some doctors who have joined the congregation. But primarily, it's a, it's a poor church. We don't get a huge tithe. And uh, so we set up this trust. It's It's called Connect Community Trust. And it's the social service arm of our church. And that trust is not viewed as a... Church or a religious trust, because most in our city don't like churches, because churches are really wealthy, and churches uh, spend lots of money, and and uh, and um, you know that's just not us though. So this trust is set up, and uh, it, it rece- so it can receive um, funds. Uh, it's also so we can kind of delineate if at some point the next pastor of our church decides that he doesn't want to go in that direction, it can be separated uh, cleanly. And so that was a decision I made. I, I felt this is really on my heart to do for us as a church. If the next pastor comes along, I don't want him to feel like he's obligated to do this and it's not his vision and it's not in his heart to do it. So we, we've separated and we have this trust. So that trust uh, employs me full time. And my job description includes a requirement that I must be a pastor and I must pastor a church. And that in pastoring this church, I then must also do research and speak publicly and travel. That's in my job description as the manager of this um, work that we do. Uh, I'm paid very well. I'm paid much better than somebody would if they were pastoring a small church. Uh, Yeah, take a note of that. uh, But here's the thing. For seven years, my wife and I and our five children uh, struggled to make ends meet and we spent a lot of time being concerned about our finances to the point that in the sixth or seventh, sixth year, uh, I was letting all of the other agencies know I was going to resign because I just couldn't survive and I needed to get a job. Uh, Joy will talk about visiting us and seeing empty pantries And we would often get food parcels the same as the guys we were caring for who were homeless. We would get those food parcels. But it never stopped us being generous, right? We just, like, do you know, if you're generous when you have nothing, you'll be generous when you have everything. But if you're not generous when you have nothing, not much is going to change when you get a lot of money. It's just the reality of it from what I've seen. So, That's the the trust. And then what we do is we deliver what's called an integrated community hub. And the integrated community hub, the integrated word is the idea of integrating people who are separated from society with people who are part of society. And in New Zealand, the issue isn't so much about poverty, the issue is about having a home and then, if you don't, being segregated. Because that's what happens. We segregate people off for something they don't have. They don't fit with us. They don't match. And we might call it poverty, but if you've been to some of these places around the world and you see real poverty, it's not. It's this separation. It's this isolation that we have in the Western world and in a lot of these very wealthy places. We isolate and cut off people that don't fit in with us. So what I find with people who are homeless, the issue is not money. The issue is being separated and isolated and ostracized and prejudiced against and despised and disgusted by. I've been in other places where, you know, they built a mud hut with their hands and they put a sheet across the top and there's 10 people living in the room and they are happy, this community they're in, to them they are lacking nothing. And everyone accepts them around them because they all, yeah, we're all together but we have this idea of kind of, well, these are my people and those are your people over there, but these are mine. And I see that kind of polarization in politics and in churches more and more and more at the moment, especially in the in the first world. That polarization that this is my people and those are yours and we are never going to have to deal with each other because we believe this and you believe that and I don't, I don't have relationship with people who do that. Okay, so we have this hub and we have pretty much 100% of the homeless population in Hastings come to our hub. Um, we're a small town, so it's called a city. Twins, Part of twin cities is two cities, but our city's probably like 60,000, 70,000. Uh, we have 140, 140, 145 registered with us. And of those 140, 145, we have uh, at least half of them who would access our service more than three days a week. So most of them, it's at least once a week. Some, it's more than three days a week. And what we do is we provide breakfast every morning. We provide uh, breakfast Monday to Saturday. We provide a cooked meal Monday to Friday. And then on Sunday, we have a church lunch, which everybody's invited to. Um, There's no cost to any of those services. And uh, the whole thing kind of started with just, we had lunch after church. I was kind of annoyed because the guy that used to close the building up would like flick the lights and make you all leave. And so everyone would stand outside on the pavement for like an hour talking. (laughs) And we're right in the middle of town. I was like, oh, look, this is ridiculous. Like, let's just stay for lunch. May as well. We're going to. So we started staying for lunch. And in staying for lunch, we just would bring food. We didn't have a big, like everyone, someone came and made all the food. We just all brought whatever we had. And you know what people coming to church bring. I mean, it's a lot of sweet stuff. It's a lot of like biscuit packets of biscuits. So we'd have, it's not really lunch, but it was food. (laughs) And uh, so we're doing that. And in the meantime, a member of my congregation had asked if they could start a drop-in for women. She'd come out of women's refuge and she'd worked with some, uh, women in, in the community, she said, can I do this drop-in will have coffee? And I said, yeah, sure, there's a room upstairs, got a kitchen, just use that. And so she'd been doing that for about a year, and it was kind of small, two or three people a day, and, and I was like, well... When I started to look at us doing lunch, I thought, you know what, we need to have more of connecting with the community in our face. Not in separate spaces, but right in our face. So lunch was one of them. But she had started running her... Um, drop-in during the week from the church foyer so we'd got some new furniture and a few other bits and pieces so it would look nice and then during the week she would have people coming in so on the Sunday we're having this lunch and during the lunch two guys who would normally wander around saw us there and went oh they'd been going into this drop-in during the week saw us and so they came wandering in and one guy goes to me what's going on here I said well we're just having lunch he said well okay uh, I said do you want some he's like yeah so he goes over and he picks up a plate very cautiously and then he stands there looking around I said you're right he goes yeah uh, where do I queue up I says you don't you just walk up to the table and grab whatever you want to eat he goes oh and picks up three plates walks over <laughs> and loads each of them with as much as food as he could get now, he hasn't made eye contact with anyone, and then he takes those, balances those three plates, and he goes over to a corner, and he hides there, and he just starts eating. And I can see he's putting some stuff in his pockets. And then he goes back up to the table, and he's, like, stuffing his pockets quietly. He doesn't want anyone to see. So, looked at that. So, I go to our kitchen, and I say to our kids, have we got any containers or anything? Yeah, we've got some old, like, ice cream containers. Great, give me one of those. And I walked out, and I said to him, put it in the container, man. You don't have to put it in your pocket he goes really I said yeah take what you want so he loads it up and leaves (laughs) clearly word gets around in a community (laughs) so the next Sunday (laughs) uh, numbers doubled and then tripled and then we'd we'd actually have to line people up to get in the door And so my congregation's like, what are we going to do? And I've got people like, you know, I love love those ones in church who've worked in the kitchen for years, right? I love them. This woman had worked in our kitchen for years, and she is absolutely panicking because the tablecloths are getting messed up. uh, There's food being left on plates and left places. There's just stuff going everywhere. And she's like, we need to teach them some manners. And they're being very, like, if you're hungry, if you're starving, you just want to eat. If you haven't eaten for three days, you don't care who's in your way. If there's food there, you're going to get it. And she's like, we need I said, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. If you'd been hungry all week, and this was the only food you could get access to, how would you eat? I said, I can go home for lunch. I can eat my lunch at home, but they're they're here and they're hungry. All right, so... And a few of those little challenges over time we had to face and we had to deal with our own prejudices, our own concerns. They smell. Do they need a smell? Do we need to do it on Sunday? I had an older gentleman, he's, he's from England, and um, I only say that because I had a kind of way of referring to him. <laughs> and uh, he, he wrote this letter to our board and the letter basically outlined all the reasons why we shouldn't be serving food to homeless people in church on a Sunday. It was a very long letter, and uh, I invited him to come and you know, express what his concerns were to our board, and uh, so we sat in the boardroom, and we're all sitting there, and, and we're all looking at each other and thinking, this is going to be such a long meeting. This is going to take a while. Anyway, we see him walking up the stairs. He's coming up the stairs towards us, and he walks into the boardroom. He's a bit breathless. He sits down, and he says, look the Holy Spirit just really spoke to me on the way here and I've been in tears the whole way. And he says, I just realize I'm wrong. Carry on and walked out. <laughs> well, he's on our board now. <laughs> uh, he still has a few of those uh, very English moments uh, where he has a concern about something, but he just, I know he hears from God. So that's awesome. So yeah, so we have 140. Um, my wife has enrolled uh, 70 of them with a GP now. Just to put it into perspective, to enroll with a GP, you need to fill an application form. Then you have to provide ID, and then you get registered with a GP. And where we live, we're 26 GPs short across the region. So a lot of places, practices have their books closed. You can't join them. And if you owe money, the reception are just going to give you a hard time, right? Bit of gatekeeping going on. So my wife has got 60 or 70 enrolled with a GP. And the way we do that is we have a friend who works in the Ministry of Social Development. And this friend, when we fill out an application form, we email it to her. And what she does is she locates their ID within the Ministry of Social... So that looks after all the benefits. Locates their ID, sends it back to the practice to have them registered so they never have to actually have an ID to get registered. And because it's a government document, it's coming from the government, it's accepted by the practice. We have a person who works in uh, banking. And what she does is she also works with our friend in MSD to allow them to get bank accounts. Because if you don't have an address, you can't get a bank account. There's so many things you can't do. So all of those little things we have. And so lots of this stuff has been, uh, is amazing what we do. We also, um, we've been invited to set up in another city. We've turned it down. We've said, no, we're not going to do that. We're gonna stay where we are. I've got uh, Auckland University who are giving me some research project proposals to investigate why what we're doing is exponentially more. Uh, and then, so that's happening. Then we have another, then we have another um, uh, uh, steering committee for the, um, the Ministry of Health, which has a, a, a specific area around mental health, mental health and addiction services. I'll be invited to sit on the steering committee to help them with uh, um, establishing their strategy for mental health care for the next five years. Uh, I'm not clinically qualified. I don't have any... Uh, I'm... I'm barely qualified. I'm barely saved. I mean, all of that stuff. <laughs> and they got me in this position. Uh, the the CEO of the council, uh, the Hastings District Council, just texted me yesterday to see if he, or he called me actually. And I texted him and said, Is this urgent? I'm, I'll be back on Monday. He said, Oh, no, sorry to bother you. I'll talk to you on Monday. The mayor is, it's just God's favour. We have spent the last six, seven years working with people who have no voice, working with people that nobody likes and nobody's interested in, and ignoring all of the important people around us. That's what we've been doing. That's what we've been doing for the last six years, we're just doing that. Let's just talk to people that no one wants to talk to. Let's hug someone no one wants to touch or be near. That's it. My heart is so full of love for my church. My church isn't just the saved people that are in it. It's every single person God has added to our number who are being saved. Matthew chapter 7 verse 16. By their fruit you will recognize them, do People pick grapes from their bushes or figs from thistles. I'm a bit of an introvert. I can talk in front of a thousand people and feel absolutely nothing. Fine. Yep. Easy. Put me next to somebody I'm supposed to get to know. My heart starts racing. My head is full of panic, thoughts, and fear. I'm an anxious person. I'm a little bit on the spectrum. So I don't know how to deal with different people. I'm like they're different to me. I, I don't know what to do. I was raised in an affluent household. I, I, I've had a job. I'm educated, kinda. I don't. How do I relate to these people? I remember when they first walked in the church. They said, "God, I, what do I even say? How do I say hello? I just feel like a fraud." Just, he said, acknowledge them. Look at them. Acknowledge them. Say hello. Nod your head. Hi. That's it. Acknowledge them. Treat them like they're a person. That's just a person. That's another person like you. Treat them like that. So I went, okay. So they'd come in and I'd have my hands in my pockets. Amen. And they wouldn't look up probably for the first month. Then eventually they would be like, oh, hey, Pastor. We'd walk down the street and I'd see them picking up ash butts cigarette butts and by then I'd know their name hi Joey hi Michael I've got a guy David he's, he's at mental health and he, he um, is quite heavily medicated most of the time and he has become one of my dearest friends and we hardly talk I say hi David how are you good to see you grab his hand he calls me sir (laughs) and then he'll tell me about he'll mention someone in the Bible Moses is in the Bible right and I go yeah he is and I give him a hug and he goes on his way on his his bike and he comes often he's got a house now but he still comes and hangs out with us because we're a family now but how do you do it how do you do it how do you do it that's a question I get asked all the time as a church, you probably wonder, yeah, that sounds amazing for you or for your church. But how do you do it? Well, it's actually incredibly easy. Matthew 6.33 says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. That's it. There's my advice to you. Seek first his kingdom. Now, what does that mean for me? You know, when I talked that about being uh, fruitful Seek first his kingdom, get planted, get grafted. Because what will happen is flowing out of you should come what? Love. Flowing out of you should come love. If you're sitting in this congregation and if you, if you know people and they look at you and they say, oh man, that person knows how to love. I guarantee you it's because you're grafted in Christ. Because I didn't know how to love. And the more I've become grafted into Christ, I've learned more and more about love. I've learned more and more about uh, generosity. I've learned more and more about kindness. You know, there was a time when there was a uh, doctrine of grace being preached out. Do you know what the evidence of that outworked in your life, that grace? It's just more love. It's love and love and love and love and love. And so you find with love, my my friend Dr. K, who's who's been a missionary in Mongolia and, and in different places, she said to me, someone asked her how she handled all of these different cultures. And she said, well, I've believed that if you love someone, they'll know it. If you love somebody, they'll know. Regardless of what you're doing, how you're doing it, they'll just know if you love them. If you really love someone, they'll know. You can be clumsy and get lots of things wrong. You can be culturally insensitive. You can be all sorts of stuff. But if you love someone, they'll know that you love them. And so we've gone really simple with what we do. Is this going to show this person that I love them? We're doing that. And you get it wrong. Trust me, you can get it 100% wrong. But underneath it all, for the last seven, eight years, I have people who follow me, trust me, know what's going to happen. They go, you are always, always keeping on going and trying. I'm just continuing to try to love. We've got new things coming up. I'm trying very hard to say no to all of these opportunities we've got. There are so many ways you can reach the lost and minister to the community. There are just millions of them. But all you have to worry about is being grafted into Jesus because he will just show you ways to love. And I had to do that because there was nothing else. I had no infrastructure. I had no staff. I was voluntary. I now have 11 staff in 12 months. From zero staff. Our operating budget went from $10,000 a year, and if you know anything about the finances of churches, $10,000 a year isn't a lot. $10,000 a year. The operating budget for our trust, Connect Community Trust, right now is about $890,000 a year. That's funded. I have funding relationships. I have long-term relationships. In New Zealand, it's normal to get a fund for one year. It's a short-term fund. You get it funded for one year or a project or three years. The Hastings District Council and, the Angli- and Anglican Care Waipu, Waipu. Incidentally, I'm not an Anglican. Anglican Care Waipu and have entered a heads of agreement with us to support whatever I want to do. And what they've done is they've committed to five years financially because they understand that what I'm trying to do isn't get some results. I'm not trying to get results. I'm just trying to love people like Jesus loves me. I'm not trying to get people into housing. I'm not trying to fix the housing crisis yet. We're the go-to people for homelessness in our city, and we provide zero accommodation. We provide no accommodation. All we do is we sit and we relate. And then we connect them to services that might be able to help them. But we are the core, the hub of all of the needs in our city. And out of that, we have agencies who come in. We created little booths so they can come in and sit in those booths and have a bit of privacy with some of our vulnerable people. We get referrals from everywhere, from everyone. We turn nobody away. They're not all homeless. You drive up in a Mercedes, we'll welcome you in. The guys will ask you how fast it goes. <laughs> I'll give you a drink. I'll sit down and talk to you. It's super simple. I'm, I'm going way over time. The uh, Pentecostal thing, AG thing probably. <laughs> I'm just going to finish off with this. Acts 242. And this is all we did as a church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. That's the answer. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Do you know what, I, what struck me in reading that, the apostles' teaching? I had the question, what are they teaching about? Do you know most of the people they're talking to already knew the, old, the, the Bible, the Old Testament, They were just teaching about Jesus. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Break bread together. Break bread together. Eat together. Share. Uh, a, A clinical professional of mine told me that if you share food with a person, if a person will take food from you, then you've broken a barrier of intimacy and you'll be able to talk with them. So what he would do is in the hospital, when he'd walk up to a bed, he would ask, do you want a glass of water? And if they would take it from his hand, he knew he had the opportunity to speak with that person. They were open to him speaking to them. Break bread together. Don't serve people over a counter with food. Sit with them and eat with them. We, when you come into our place and you want to eat, you don't line up and have your plate out and have someone put food on your plate. Because what is that? That's like prison. We put it out and say, eat whatever you want. And they come along. Sure, they queue up because it just, it's nicer in our space. It works like that. And then they eat as much as they want. And then we have a policy. If we run out of food, we get more food. That's the policy. We never restrict who can eat what and how much they can eat. If we run out, we make more. So we currently uh, cater for about 65 a night. Uh, We make enough food for 120 or 150 because we want them to have seconds and thirds and we want them to be able to fill up containers and then take some to a friend and know that we're never going to run out of food and they never have to worry about tomorrow night's meal. They don't have to worry about getting there on time. Because who tells the time when you don't have a watch or a a phone because you've pawned it so that you could get some drugs? It's pretty simple, man. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And the last thing I want to say is have church every day. That was my goal probably five years ago. I wanted to have church open every day. I Just wanted it to be there in the community every day. And now, today we're open seven days a week. It's great. I get to go to church every day if I want. <laughs> it's fantastic. We have prayer meetings happening in the middle of our dining area. where one of our guys said, "Hey, can you pray for me?" And so then three or four people are around them praying together, and they're praying. Because further on in Acts, and that's what I want to finish with, further on in Acts, it says, And God added to their number daily those who were being saved. Not weekly, not during events. Daily those who were being saved. And so my church is smaller than yours my congregation is bigger. It's It's a full congregation of people who are being saved. Some of those being saved are usually passed out of sleep while I'm preaching or arguing in the back. So I have to preach a little bit louder. And then we all sit down at one long table for lunch. I remember when we first did it, one of the guys goes, oh, we're treating us like children. And then two seconds later, we're sitting down, talking and sharing with the people around him. To me, the best thing you can do is just get close to Jesus. and He'll just make it clear. He'll make it clear. You have a great pastor who's serving the Lord, who's listening to the Holy Spirit, who's seeking out truth, who's seeking out a path. You can all help doing the same thing. Just stay grafted into the vine. Faithfulness in Christ is fruitful. It's not just faithfulness to the church, faithfulness in Christ, faithfulness uh, grafted into the vine, faithfulness. God is doing in our midst and in our city but it's only because we are being faithful out of what Christ has done for us being faithful in who Christ is and the fruitfulness is overwhelming (laughs) who would have thought while I'm sitting on the pavement talking to my friends that it would lead to me sharing with you. <laughs> One of my friends, he's a 20 year Matthews. Intravenous, he can't stop, he'll probably die. He has Hep C. He lived with us for about six months until he couldn't anymore because I couldn't really have his drug use in front of my children. But he still comes every day. He comes to church. He said, I want to follow Christ. I baptized him. He can barely walk. He's got injuries as well as brain injuries and an addiction. And he messaged us. Uh, While well, we've been here in Australia on Facebook, just to tell me he was praying. pray you find the, the fulfillment that I have in what God is doing the fulfillment in Christ and his unending love